So it's my privilege to bring the word tonight. And uh, this past month, if you've been in Josh Chen and, and Mossel Bay, uh, even in congregation, and if you've been attending our communities, we've been uh, doing a, a little bit of a chorus on uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's something that is kind of lost in the church today. What I've also found is that people don't know what the gift is that the Lord has given them. A lot of people have asked me, and what do you think my gift is? And then another thing I've realized is it's not about the gifts. It's about the power of God. It's about Him. He is the greatest gift of all. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the last verse, it says, And eagerly desire the greater gift. What is the greater gift? The very next verse. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. Love. The love of Jesus, man. That's the greatest gift that any of us could get. So tonight I want to speak about the giver of those gifts. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we, we kind of go into a, into a season, silly season, some call it. It's Christmas time. It's a time when children receive toys marked with three dreaded words on them. Batteries not included. I tell you, like my daughter's got this camera. I think the batteries that we have bought for that camera is now worth more than the camera. Batteries not included. And without batteries to energize those toys, they will not be what they were designed to do. Although they may look like the picture on the box, they fail to function like the toy our children see in the commercials. Like the toy without its batteries, many Christians fail to rise to their potential and their effectiveness because they are not energized with the power of the Holy Spirit. They may look like a Christian should look. They may talk like a Christian should talk, but they fail to perform as a Christian should perform because there's no batteries. And just because you enter into a church many times, I want to say to you, don't think, well, I've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given as a gift. Again, one of the greatest gifts, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings life. And that's what we'll look at tonight. So we lack, some people lack the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin in their lives and to increase in effectiveness in ministry only as they yield more completely to God and allow the Holy Spirit to exercise greater control. You see, to the measure that you're going to yield yourself is to the measure that you'll be, uh, be controlled. So the, the measure that I say, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life, is that measure that the Holy Spirit's going to control me. Remember, He's a gentle dove. And you can chase Him away if you don't yield yourself to Him. Note 
that this illustration that I just gave you about the batteries not included breaks down somewhat for us what it is if you're a true believer and he or she is given the battery, so to speak. If you've been given the Holy Spirit as a gift, the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to use another little analogy that hits home for most of us right now. For some of us that stays in different areas in Mossel Bay, it doesn't hit that home. But so what if we would read on Facebook and we would see on the radio and we see on TV that this announcement's on Facebook or someplace because of load shedding. The following churches will be closed due to a lack of power. Now, I understand what it means. We talk about electricity. But what if that was true of the church of Jesus Christ? The following churches are closed because of a lack of power. So let's start with the promise. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 16. John 16, verse 7 to 14. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you the truth. It's so funny that Jesus even has to qualify that he's telling the truth. Okay. <laughs> it is to your advantage. Say advantage. That's it. That I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I wish Jesus did tell us all those things. But then he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The next one is in John 15. Pretty much if you read John 14, 15, and 16, there's a lot in there. Is that the next one? John 15? Verse 26, can we, do you have it? Don't you have that one? I have glasses and I can find it and I have a Bible. John 15, 26, turn with me there quickly. Just glance back to this verse. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So basically, the Holy Spirit is going to show us more about Jesus in actual fact. If the Holy Spirit is not in the church, which is the body of Jesus, then it's dead. There's nothing. And then also, let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them, this is Jesus. Now, now you've got to take the context of Acts chapter 1 here quickly before we continue. This is literally the last words of Jesus. Now, if, if this was my last words to know to you, what would I say to you? What would I say to you? Just think about what Jesus is saying. His last words. And I'll look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8 just now and how pivotal that verse is in the whole book of Acts. But look at this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. You see the promise? It was in, in, in John chapter 16 and John 15 that he promised to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then we get to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Let's read that quickly. But you will receive, and that but is a connective word. Connecting everything that's preceded that, and it's connecting, but you will receive power. That's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Amplified Bible says it like this, but you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. So the modern church, the Holy Spirit needs the Holy the church needs the Holy Spirit. This is our greatest need. It's the church's greatest need. John Stott said this. He said, Before Christ sent the church into the world, he sent the spirit into the church. The same order must be observed today. Before Christ sent the church into the world, he sent the Spirit into the church. So without the Spirit, let me quickly say this. Without the Spirit, there will be no salvation. No salvation. Okay. Without the Spirit, there will be no conviction. Nothing. Without the Spirit, there will be no spiritual growth. Without the Spirit, we will all preach in vain and witness in vain. So that's why the Holy Spirit is an integral part. Why do we exclude Him? There are churches that believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures, which is great, but it's not the Spirit. Because the letter will kill you, but the Spirit brings life. And my friends, I'm all about Scriptures. If you cut me, I bleed Scripture. I love it. But if I don't have the Spirit, it means nothing. Those words will never convict me. Did it convict you before you met Jesus? No, it didn't. You read it. You sang little songs. Let your lichies came with the elder glans. You did all that stuff, but it meant nothing. It did nothing until the Holy Spirit came and convicted you of sin. Because that's his job. 
Can you see why the greatest need in the church today is a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 1, just a few things about it. This is the key that unlocks the door of Acts and the gates of Christian history. If you think about it. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened straight after that on the day of Pentecost. The church is birthed. There was no church. So this is like the key, the Holy Spirit. He says, wait in Jerusalem so that you receive power to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's the key that unlocks everything. Acts chapter 1 represents the last known words of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Verse 9 indicates that, our, that this is his last words and he's taken up. His ascension happens in verse 9. So verse 8 is his last words that he's speaking to his people. Shouldn't his last command be our first concern? Shouldn't be Jesus' last command that he actually gave us be our first concern? I want to listen to what he said. Go wait. Here's something interesting somebody said the other day. He says, when was the last time that the church waited for 10 days on the Holy Spirit's outpouring? In prayer. When was the last time you waited for 10 days on anything? And I'm not talking about take a lot. When was the last time? You know, we're a generation that wants it very quickly. There's something about waiting. There's something about waiting and receiving the power of God. Acts chapter 1 represents the passing of the baton between the Son and the Spirit regarding the divine mission on earth. The Son is handing over. He says, my job's done. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm preparing a place for these people, and I'm going to intercede on their behalf. Holy Spirit, tag your head. You're on duty. And he's on duty all the time now until Jesus comes back. He didn't just start the church and he goes, yes, job done. No, I'm done now. I gave, I gave gifts until the apostles all died, and that's sorted all out. No, 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 no. You know that the book of Acts is one of the only books that's got, don't have an amen at the end? Because we're still in the Acts of the apostles. We're still doing it. We're living it. This is, this is it. This is what happened at the day of Pentecost. This was what was birthed, the church. Same Holy Spirit. You guys are good with this? Say, so I know of Amen. Acts chapter 1 provides the table of content for the book of Acts, basically. In reading through Acts, it becomes clear that chapters 1 to 7 describes the gospel penetrating Jerusalem. Chapters 8 to 12, Judea and Samaria. And chapter 13 to 18, the ends of the earth. So there you go. So when Jesus said, to go do that stuff, that's what happened. From chapter 1, verse 8, we start seeing all of that stuff happening to the ends of the earth. In all the chapters. Go check me out on that. 
chapter 1 verse 8 represents Jesus' agenda for the duration of history till he returns. It's our personal mandate for each one of us. And every day of our lives we must be spent under its ambition and authority. In other words, we must say, I want to fulfill this. This very thing that Jesus said, I must do. His last command is my first concern. To be filled with power from the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer said something very interesting. He said this, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of the church, out of this world, sorry. If God were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, much of what we're doing in our churches would go right on and nobody would know the difference. I do not believe in a repetition of Pentecost. But I do believe in a perpetuation of Pentecost. And there is a vast difference between the two. In other words, we carry on. We perpetuate what the Holy Spirit birthed. This is us. This is the church. Question quickly. I love asking questions. If you're making notes. Do you have a theoretical knowledge of the Holy Spirit or an experiential knowledge of the Holy Spirit? Because I think a lot of us know a lot about the Holy Spirit, theoretically. But do you have an experiential? And I'm not talking about going crazy, jumping up and down, although it might be. I mean, there's a lot of plugs here. If I'm going to put my finger in any of this, in any, any power plug, hey? 240. So if I'm going to, Mark, if I'm going to put my finger and I lick it like a nut, put it in there, what's going to happen? Hey? It's going to hurt. I'm going to connect with power, hey? Quickly. It's the same. So don't worry about the person shake, rattling, and rolling next to you. Doesn't matter. He's connecting with power. Years ago, you can ask my wife this story. There was this lady. In Josh, she's still in Josh Yen. It was kind of weird for me the one day. I just got, like, offended, you know? Like, and I don't get offended very quickly. I try not to get offended very quickly. <laughs> And I never lie either. <laughs> so I'm standing in this meeting and this, this lady, she's kind of doing this, this thing, you know. Like she's giving birth almost. It's like this thing. And I'm like, God, make it stop. I mean, Seriously. If the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet, then I'm surely she can stop. Why is she doing that? It's kind of off-putting. And I've been in the church for many years. She's not fresh out of the NGK kind of vibe. Which did freak me out when I saw people just putting their hands up and speaking in tongues. I thought everybody was praying in Hebrew. If you've never heard tongues, it sounds like Hebrew. It does. 
or anything else, Spanish, French, I don't know what. So we're driving home, and I see this girl straight after the meeting, driving in her car. She's alone in her car. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, they just do it to, to be seen, eh? We all do that. They just, but she was still doing that in the car alone. And I was like, no, no, okay. You can't prolong this thing if you're faking it like that. That's the Holy Spirit connecting with her. And you know, it's that same thing in the last chapter of John, where Peter is running up and Jesus is restoring Peter and he's talking to him and he says to him, tend to my sheep and, you know, feed my sheep. And, but right at the end, typical Peter. I can't, like he can't not be Peter, you know. It's like he puts his foot back into his mouth. Jesus just restored him. And he goes, well, I just want to find out what's going to happen to the beloved. You know, what's going to happen to John? And Jesus answers him and he says, what is it to you, Peter? What's going to happen to John? And I felt the Lord say that to me. What's it to you what I'm busy doing with her? I'm, I hope this is helpful for somebody here. I don't know why I'm telling you this story. Because some of us, and I've realized we've seen the excesses of, of Holy Spirit stuff. Okay. So, so either we swing the pendulum to nothing, to Holy Scriptures, to, to charismania. Okay, I love the charismatic movement. I got saved into the Pentecostal movement. I have no problem with the Pentecostal movement. I have shaked, I've rattled, I've rolled, I've fallen over, I've taken chairs out, I've done everything. I've seen Jesus, I've heard His voice. But I'm telling you, when you experience the power of God, truly, experientially, not just up here. It's the same with Jesus. We can know Jesus. I've asked so many times, who knows Angelina Jolie? Who knows her? Hey, who knows her? You know her? You do. But you can only pursue looking now. So you know, and this is so funny. We don't know half these people, but we're very quick to just talk about Charlize Theron the whole week about 44 Afrikaners. Hey. Forget about her. I wish that we would talk more about Jesus than about 44 people that are now miffed in South Africa about Afrikaans. Bauerbrugge, Afrikaners, and get over it. Seriously, guys. But you don't know them. You don't know what's happening. Now everybody is like, Ja, as Kenya, you come for Benonia. Who cares? Sorry, I'm digressing. Lord, help us. So let's get stuck in this verse. Let's get stuck in this verse. And I want to call this the divine dynamis, if you're making notes. And that's the word that is used for power here. Dynamis. D-U-N-I-M-I-S. There are two New Testament words that convey the idea of power. Two. One is exousia. E-X-O-U-S-I-A. And the other one is dunamis. D-U-N-A-M-I-S. And please, it's got nothing to do with dynamite. 
okay? Alfred Nobel found out dynamite way after this. Entomologically, we're totally wrong if we even try and compare this word with dynamite. It's not. God's not explosive. He's not. I'll explain to you why. And if you heard that teaching, erase it from your head. It's wrong. It's a wrong teaching. Entomologically, it's wrong. You know what entomology is? The origin of a word. So the word dynamite was found out much later than this word. Okay, no VTA word. Cool. Lacquer. So these two words are related in one sense. For the one who promises the power is the very one with the authority. Matthew 28 verse 18 says this. He says, all authority. Jesus came to say to them, all authority. In other words, the one that's giving the power is the one that's got the authority to give you the power. Okay. So you can only get the power from him because he's got the authority. All authority has been given to me, he says. So this follows that his promise of power can be fully trusted because he has full authority to make such an incredible proclamation. Natural men and women will receive supernatural power to be his witnesses. And by their witness will be privileged to witness the great miracle. In other words, rebirth. To see people get saved. Because of his authority. Not based on anything that I have. Nothing. Power. Let me explain this word, dunamis. The word dunamis means this, to be able. To be able. To have power, especially achieving power. It refers to inherent ability. Something that he gives you. It stays within you. It's not a physical ability, but power to accomplish a task. Dunamis is intrinsic power. The power to carry out some function. So what is the function that God has called us to do? To be His witnesses. To be His witnesses. To tell of what He has done. Dunamis is associated with the coming of the Holy Spirit upon a person. Giving that person the supernatural power capable of accomplishing the task Jesus assigned. So, he will never give you something that he has not given you the power to do. Jesus will never ask you to do something if he hasn't given you the Holy Spirit. Don't try and do it in your own strength. It isn't not by power, my power, not by might. That's kratos, that's another word. But by his Spirit, says the Lord. It's not me. It's nothing that I have. It's not how clever. It's not based upon your upbringing. It's not about studying. It's got nothing to do with any of those things. It's all his decision. And you saying, Lord, I want more of you. It's your yieldedness that invites him that says, yes, I see a heart that I want to pour more into. Okay. Divine dunamis is the power which is necessary for disciples to be witnesses of the good news. 
Paul writes this in Romans 1.16, if we can read that quickly. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the dunamis. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, including you. And may I remind us of something we often forget. In Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says this, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in your mortal body. And I've said this in a few communities already. The same Holy Spirit that's in you and me is in your children. You don't get a junior version of the Holy Spirit in your children. We need to start listening to our kids. They've got the same Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in your mortal body. It's the same power that's when your children get born again and they, they find Jesus or Jesus finds them, let me put it that way. Then the Holy Spirit comes and lives within them as well. Not in a lesser measure. In the same measure that He lives in you. May, may I remind us of that. Dunamis is used of both an inward spiritual equipment and of the resulting outward achievement. In other words, He gives you the abilities, but you can also work with this now. You can go out. So in other words, Stephen in the book of Acts Chapter 6, verse 8, was full of power. And he was preaching. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And you know, that's the same Stephen that got, that got stoned. Great powers or miracles were wrought by Philip in Acts chapter 1, verse 13. The connection of this power with the Spirit of God was... To be illustrated in the case of the disciples as they had been in the earthly life of Jesus. Acts chapter 10 verse 38. If we can read that quickly. Acts 10 38. How God anointed gave him power. Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with same word. Jesus needed the same stuff. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Jesus was spirit-filled, just like us. Remember, he had an earthly ministry. He was perfect man, perfect God, but he needed the Holy Spirit as an example to each one of us. Dunamis is clearly a key word in the book of Acts. It's actually used about 10 times in the book of Acts. Power. Three to describe miracles and seven to describe power or supernatural power but i can tell you also there is a counterfeit power acts chapter 8 verse 10 there is simon the sorcerer they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying this man is the power of god is called great there is a fake power there is I think concerning these things, do not be ignorant. Even concerning, the Bible says very clearly, concerning spiritual gifts, do not be ignorant. Because they are fake stuff. 
1 Timothy chapter 4 says that in the last days, the Spirit expressly says, some will depart from the faith and they will follow doctrines of demons. And that's a big word. That's the Holy Spirit prophesying. Saying that there's people that's going to fall away from the faith. In closing quickly, I want to show you an illustration quickly of spiritual power versus natural power. Suppose we saw an army sitting down before a granite fort. You guys can close your eyes maybe quickly. Imagine this. So you're seeing this army sitting down before a granite fort. And they told us that they intend to batter it down. We might ask them, how? And they point to a cannonball. Well, there is no power in that. It is heavy, but not more than half a hundred or perhaps a hundred in weight, whatever. And if all the men in the army hurled it against the fort, they would make no impression. And we can pick it up and try and throw it against the granite fort. They say no, but look at the cannon. Well, there is no power in that. A child may be able to sit on it. A bird can even sit on its mouth. It is a machine and nothing more. But look at the powder. Well, there is no power in that. A child may spill it. A sparrow may peck it. Yet this powerless powder and powerless ball are put into the powerless cannon. One spark of fire enters it. And then in the twinkling of an eye, that powder is a flash of lightning. And that ball is a thunderbolt which smites us if it's been sent from heaven. So it is what our church machinery at this day. We have all the instruments necessary for pulling down strongholds. But we need the baptism of fire. We need the Holy Spirit spark. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need it to be witnesses. We need it. We need His word. We need His power. We need His supernatural power. And if we have these things, what else do we need? What do we witness about? We witness about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We testify about His life. We testify about His death and resurrection. But we also witness of Jesus as those who belong to Jesus. And as we just keep your eyes closed. What are the requirements? Let me, let me tell you quickly. What are the requirements of a witness? A witness must have seen that about which he or she is to bear a witness about. And I'm praying that tonight you will see Jesus. What he has done on the cross for you. That you can bear witness of what he has done 30 years ago. I can bear witness. And it's called my testimony. I can testify 
about what he has done for me. The second thing that a witness needs to do must tell what he or she has seen. In other words, it's no good if you've seen Jesus and you don't talk about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. Give your testimony to what has happened. How do I receive and experience this power of the Holy Spirit tonight? How do I? You may ask. Well, the first thing that you do is you confess your sin and you turn to Jesus. That's where it starts. That's where it starts tonight. Confess your sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. From all unrighteousness. So tonight, if you want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, confess and turn from your sin. The second thing is, is what I said right in the beginning. Open up. Yield yourself. Surrender. Hands up. Go, I don't know how to do this, Lord. And that's the best place to be, my friends. Is to say to him, come and have your way in my life. Then you pray and you ask for fullness. You go and you say, Lord, I want to be filled from the top to the bottom. I want to be full of you. But you can only be full of him if you're empty of yourself. John prayed this. He says, I'm, that I might decrease so that he might increase. So tonight, that should be your prayer. And then lastly, trust that he will do as he promised. He promised in, in John 15 and John 16. He promised the Holy Spirit. He's a good father. You see, but another thing is that's very, very important is. You can get your batteries tonight. You can put the batteries in the toy. But you cannot be switched on. I've done this little thing with kids in school. I take a little lamp and I go, let's sing, let your lichy skein met the helder glance. It's a little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. And then the kids go, but, but the, it's not shining. Then I go, what must I do? And I say, you've got to plug it in. And then I run and I plug in the, the little light. And then I say, let's sing now. And they say, but it's still not shining. I go, what must I do now? I say, you've got to switch it on. So it's no use tonight. You're plugged in. You're full of batteries and everything, but you're not switched. 